Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're in a series called The Five Solas. These teachings are helping us celebrate the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Today is message number four called Sola Fide, Our Only Instrument. Sola Fide is Latin for by faith alone. The main idea we're covering is justification before God. Justification is Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to us to satisfy God's perfect justice, and it only comes by faith. You may have heard justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Here's Pastor John with part one of Sola Fide, our only instrument. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It's kind of like our launch pad to look at the fourth sola, which is sola fide. So let's just read this before we get started. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we've been studying the five solas, and we're coming to the fourth one uh, today, sola fide, um, and what we have learned is that the five solas are inseparable. You can't have one solo without the other solas. You can't have three, you can't have four, you can't have two, you have to have all five. And so what we have learned is that sola scriptura is, um, affirms that scripture alone is inspired by God. Therefore, scripture alone is the church's Uh, final authority as opposed to popes and councils during the Reformation period, but it is the church's final authority because it is inerrant. It does not err. Popes and councils have erred. And because it's inspired, Scripture is infallible. It cannot err. And the reason we stay with Scripture alone is because Scripture alone leads us to Christ alone for salvation, solus Christus. And solus Christus, we saw last week, is never left dangling by itself, but is always tied to sola gratia, grace alone, because grace, we learned, is a person. Grace is a person. It is Jesus Christ in redeeming action towards sinners. And then solus Christus and sola gratia are never left dangling by themselves, but they're always tied to sola fide, faith alone, which is what we're going to look at today. Sola fide is simply a shorthand way of emphasizing the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel, which is justification. Sola fide answers the most important question of all human questions that Job asked. In Job chapter 9, verse 2, 
Job asked this question, how can a man be in the right before God? That is the question of all questions. How can a man be in the right before God? And so the answer that sola fide, we're going to learn this morning, gives to us is the other solas, are the other solas. God declares sinners to be righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone. So they're all tied together. Let me give you some historical backdrop before we look at it. Uh, When Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the Castle Church uh, door in Vindberg in 1517, he was only seeking to be a good Roman Catholic monk. He was only seeking to bring needed reform to the church. There's nothing distinctively Protestant about Luther's 95 theses. There's nothing about sola scriptura, sola gratia, or sola fide in the 95 theses. In fact, most scholars believe that Luther did not come to his evangelical Protestant view of justification uh, until a year after he posted his theses on the castle church door. But nevertheless, what happened was after his posting of these 95 theses, uh, he sowed the seeds of debate concerning the authority of the Pope. So he put the crack in the dam that allowed the water pressure to would say, break the dam, right? And all the water came gushing out. But he he sowed the seeds of debate concerning the authority of the Pope, which set the stage for the eventual recovering of the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel of justification. So Luther and the other reformers during the Reformation rightly discerned that the Roman church's uh, innovative biblical traditions added to the Bible... Uh, For example, the selling and buying of indulgences, uh, purgatory, acts of penance, pilgrimages, priestly absolution, the invocation of saints. All these extra-biblical, unbiblical traditions added to Scripture. It not only undermined the authority of Scripture, but the Reformers just rightly discerned that it corrupted God's free justification of sinners. It corrupted the heart, of the, the heart of the gospel. And so Martin Luther concluded that sola fide was the central issue of the Reformation. He stated, quote, It is the article with and by which the church stands, without which it falls, end quote. And so this, whereas the authority of Scripture, or sola scriptura, was the formal cause of the Reformation, uh, justification sola fide was the material cause. Why did the reformers refer to it as the material cause? They referred to it as that because sola fide involves the very heart and matter and substance of what a sinner must believe to be saved. So the primary importance of sola fide in justification cannot be overstated. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, Sola fide is at the heart of justification. Martin Luther referred to the doctrine of justification as the chief article of Christian doctrine. 
He writes this. He says, The article of justification is the master and prince. It is the Lord, the ruler, and the judge of all kinds of doctrines. It preserves and governs all church doctrine and raises up our conscience before God. Without this article, the world is utter death and darkness. He says this, he says, the doctrine is the head and cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, justification, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. Uh, John Calvin, in his institutes, as he begins um, his discussion in book three of justification, listen to how he describes the primary importance of this doctrine. He says, this is the main hinge. It is the principal axis on which religion turns so that we devote the greater attention and care to it. For unless you first of all grasp what your relationship to God is and the nature of his judgment concerning you, you have neither a foundation on which to establish your salvation nor on which to build piety, that is, sanctification before God. He goes on later in book three, and he points out that justification, he says, was the pivotal point, the pivotal point of the reformers' dispute with Rome, the medieval church. Um, the English reformer Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, who was the principal author, author of the Book of Common Prayer, this is what he says about justification during the Reformation. He said, quote, Justification is the strong rock and foundation of Christian religion. Whosoever denies this doctrine is not to be counted for a true Christian man, but an adversary of Christ, end quote. Uh, a contemporary theologian you've heard of him, J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God. He says this, he says, Justification is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. It is the fundamental blessing in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it and rests on it. So, sola fide is of primary importance, not just because... Listen, it me, it, not just because uh, the church stands or falls on it, but because we stand or fall on it before God. Justification um, is a doctrine that has to do with our status before the just judgment of God. Justification is the language and imagery of the law courts. Justification is a forensic idea it is conceived in terms of God's law, and it portrays and sets forth God to us as a judge. In Matthew chapter 25, listen to what Jesus warns. In verses 31 through 32, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one, he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is the judge. 
In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul proclaims this, is that God, quote, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising this man from the dead. So there is a day coming, Scripture teaches, that every person, past, present, and future, will be called before God to give an account. Every person. This is our dilemma, Paul says in Romans chapter 3. We all stand guilty under the judgment of God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, the Apostle Paul says that both Jew and Gentile stand under God's judgment. Listen to verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, and then he quotes the Psalms. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So our problem, Paul says, is that we are not right with God who is the judge. This is not a subjective feeling of guilt. This is an objective reality of guilt. You're not right with God, Paul says, and God's law declares this to be so. Paul says there is none righteous, all stand condemned in God's courtroom. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul explains that we all are under God's wrath. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That would be all of us. The psalmist in Psalm 130, verse 3, asked this question. It's similar to Job's question. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And clearly the answer is no one could stand. None of us can stand before a righteous God in the day of judgment because we are not righteous but unrighteous, Paul says. He makes this whole argument from Romans 1.18 all the way to Romans 3 verse 20. His conclusion in chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 and 23 is this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 23, all have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God. And so Job's question and the psalmist's questions are of primary importance. How can a man be in the right before God? How can you stand in judgment and survive before a righteous God? This is the answer that Solafidae addresses. And the answers that the reformers and that the Roman church gave to this fundamental question differed in the Reformation, and they still differ widely today. So I had you turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, and I want you to look this morning at 
three vital truths that sola fide emphasizes in justification. Three vital truths that sola fide emphasizes in justification. How does Paul answer the question, how can a man be in the right before God? First of all, sola fide emphasizes that the source of our justification is the grace of God alone. Look what he says in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 28. He says in verse 24, he says, being justified as a gift, what? By his grace. Look at verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, if we go back to the Reformation, we, we will see that the medieval church taught that a person, and it still teaches today, the Roman church still teaches, that a person is justified by the sacraments. We'll come back to this. But if the sacraments are not sufficient for the person's justification, there's purgatory. And in purgatory, a believer, they teach, can be purged of remaining sin and become intrinsically righteous, inherently righteous. And through that purgation, God will pronounce that person justified or righteous. In contrast, the reformers answered that salvation, justification, is only possible by grace alone. We've just seen Paul say in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is no one righteous before God. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, no one understands and seeks for God. Chapter 3, verse 12, all have turned aside and become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Consequently, he says in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 and 28, that no one by their own works, by their effort, through their cooperation, their obedience, their good works, will ever be justified before God. He says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so if our works are not the source of our justification, what is? How can we be justified? How can we be in the right before God? And the reformers, in, in connection with the teaching of Scripture, answered sola gratia, grace alone. They rightly maintained that salvation belongs to God alone, and there's nothing that a sinner can add to the perfect work of Christ for their salvation. No one is justified by their works. No one is saved by their works by cooperating with God. The whole source, Paul says, in verse 24 of chapter 3 of Romans, the whole source of this justification is in the grace of God alone, being justified as a gift by his grace. Grace is the fountain and source of our entire salvation. Grace is the first and last moving cause of our salvation. And so despite our sinfulness and our unrighteousness, God does not give to us what we have merited or earned, which is his justice, his wrath, but he has given to us justification, declared us righteous by grace alone. 
Now, how can this be? Paul says in Romans 4, verse 5, God justifies the ungodly, those who are inherently not righteous, but God says you're righteous. How can this be? How can God justify the ungodly without being an unjust judge? No one will tolerate an unjust judge, right? Is God's pronouncement simply a legal fiction when he declares those who are unrighteous to be righteous? That's what the medieval church charged the reformers with, and they continue to charge the Protestants with. You're teaching a legal fiction. You're saying that God declares those who are righteous who are inherently unrighteous. That's a legal fiction. So how can God do this by grace alone and not be an unjust judge in the process? Well, this leads us to the second truth that sola fide emphasizes. Look what Paul says. Sola fide emphasizes that the ground of our justification is the work of Christ alone. Look what he says in verses 24 and 25. Look, being justified as a gift by his grace, here's the ground, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That's the ground right there. It is Christ's saving work on our behalf. So the issue of sola fide in the the Reformation was a debate over the ground called the material cause of our salvation by which a sinner is justified before God. According to the medieval Roman church, there's a twofold ground of our justification before God. There is the righteousness of Christ plus the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the grace of sanctification that is cooperating in good works. So the material cause of justification, according to Rome, is Christ plus the believer's good works. Christ plus the believer's inherent righteousness. And so the debate between Rome and the Reformers can be summarized as follows. Is the ground of our justification before God, the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us? Or is the ground of our justification the righteousness of Christ working in us? Inherent righteousness. Are we justified and made and declared to be right with God? by a righteousness that is within us or are we declared by God to be right with him by a righteousness that is outside of us and imputed to us? That was the issue and it remains the issue to this day. Rome affirms the prior inherent righteousness. The reformers affirm the latter imputed righteousness. Let me help you understand this. The Roman church taught and teaches that justification is a joint effort. It is a cooperation of man with God. Faith enables a sinner to become righteous so that God will eventually declare him righteous. In other words, sanctification, the process of becoming righteous, precedes justification, the declaration that you're actually righteous. It flips the gospel on its head. 
For the Roman church, the, the, the reformers understood that God only declares righteous those who are inherently righteous. If you're perfectly righteous, God will say you're justified. A sinner is justified by grace through faith in Christ, plus your contribution of your own inherent righteousness. It is faith in Christ, plus you cooperating in good works. Am I I clear? Is everybody getting this? So the Roman church errs by merging justification and sanctification. Justification becomes this infusion of a substance called grace, like a medicine that we learned last week, through the means of the sacraments that enables you to cooperate with God to eventually become inherently righteous. And so the ground of justification is something inherent within the believer. But this is the problem the reformers and scriptures teach about being justified on this basis. If justification is dependent on your inherent righteousness, here's the problem. They're never going to be good enough. Your good works will never be good enough to be the ground. Thanks, John. That's part one of Sola Fide, our only instrument. More from the Five Solas series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.